You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. You know, it's awesome being here with the North Region, amen? East Region, let's be grateful for the North, amen? You know, it's been such an awesome week. Uh, If you're in the campus, you didn't get to witness the singles devotional yesterday. And we had a singles devo, and I think I put a new conviction into the singles ministry. And this conviction was, work hard to take that sister to the shard. So... We see that the sisters, the, the, the brothers actually have to work very hard and get better jobs, amen? But before we move on, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. I pray that you move me aside as I am wicked and I am sinful. But I pray that you preach your very word to your people. Father, I pray that you can come down, convict us, convince us to change, Father. I pray, Father God, you move. We thank you. We love you. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn into your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and there before me stood a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet sound. Come here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once, at once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shined like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling, and pearls of thunder, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center... Round the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered their eyes all around, even under its wing. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and to come, and the church says, Amen. The title of this charge is Holy, Holy, Holy. In order to be people that do great things for God, we've got to be holy, holy, holy. If you want to be a radical Christian, you've got to be holy, holy, holy. If we want to be a radical church, we got to be holy, holy, holy. If you want to have a radical marriage, you got to be holy, holy, holy. Are you with me, church? Amen. We know with holy, 
is holiness. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13, well, we know in 1 Peter, it was written about 64 AD. And during this time, there was a fire known as the Great Fire of Rome. And this fire lasted for six days. And then it was brought under control, but they couldn't count the damage. Why? Because it, it re, uh, uh, it blazed, it, it caught on fire again. Sorry, guys. Reignited. There we go. It was inside of me, but I couldn't get it out. So the fire reignited for another three days. And the aftermath of the fire was two thirds of Rome that was destroyed. Now we pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and we see what Peter had to say. Therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in, in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. And the church says, Amen. Now, during this time, you guys know an emperor named Nero, right? Yes. And Nero blamed the Christians for the fire. And they, re they received humongous amount of persecution. That Christians were killed. That Christians were, were, were torn, torn apart by dogs. That Christians were burned alive. And you know what? The Christians still evangelized the whole world. The Christians still went after their calling. Went after the dream. And they didn't let persecution make them unholy. This reminds me of a sister that we have uh, who was in uh, Moscow, Russia. And uh, this sister was put in prison. Why was she put in prison? Because she chose to do the will of God. She was thrown in prison because she helped save souls. You know, it's illegal to um, share your faith in Russia. They'll throw you right in prison. And you know how the disciples in Russia react? Just look at Jenya. She's fired up. She's here in London, doesn't speak the language, but is fired up for God. That's how all the Russian disciples are. They're fired up and zealous for God, even when persecution comes. You know what? They still share their faith. Would you still share your faith if that was a law here in London? Or would you use that as an excuse to stop coming to church? Would you use that as an excuse to stop reading your Bible and praying? 
The disciples in Russia, they're holy amongst persecution. What about you? Well, what is holy? Well, holy is dedicated or consecrated to God or something that is sacred. You know, I came here about 8.30 this morning and I looked behind me and I saw Lache. And I was like, wow. Lache's like, you know what? I just want to serve God. Lache was the second person here. Amen. I was before you, bro. The second person here. But I, I saw that Lache's heart was like, even though there may be challenges in my life, I still want to be set apart. I still want to be holy. And we know a Hebrew, holy, from the original uh, Hebrew word means to be set apart. In Greek, it literally means the same, but it also says sacred. It's physically pure, morally blameless, and ceremonial consecrated. In verse 16, it says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's Leviticus 11, verse 44 through 45. That's why we take the Greek word and we see it's to be set apart. Are you set apart this morning? You know, as I preach, it's going to go into the afternoon. So I'm going to ask, will you be set apart this afternoon? Will you be set apart as I preach? Let's go to... We'll stay here, actually. We will stay right here. Are you holy, set apart, or are you worldly? Are you holy, are you set apart, or are you worldly? Joe. Are you holy, bro? You sure? Or are you worldly? Where's Angelo at? Are you holy, bro? Do you want to be holy? Are you sure, bro? See, being holy is to be different from the world. If you come to church and you act like you're in the world, you're not holy. If you come and you come late, that's not being holy. You are with the world. You're not set apart. Do you act ungodly? Or do you hang around with ungodly people? Are you drawn to the world? Or do you have worldly desires on your heart? You know, guys, there are some beautiful beaches out there. All over the world, there's some hidden, beautiful beaches. When water floods, uh, floods below the sand, sorry, when water, when water floods sand, uh, sand below the surface, the sand particles gets pushed up. The result is a muddy mixture of the two that cannot support the weight of a person. 
When someone walks over it, they sink down. It traps un it traps unknown as quicksand. Sorry, it traps known as quicksand. As a person sinks down, it pushes the water out to create a vacuum effect that secures its victim tighter and tighter. Sometimes it only takes moments to absorb someone into the, a desperate situation, which is known as quicksand. You know, this is what pornography does to millions and millions of people. Pornography and masturbation is like quicksand. When you get tangled in it, it's hard to get out. Sometimes you think you're fighting, but you're sinking even further. Pornography is an addiction. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. If you're involved in pornography, masturbation, any kind of sexual immorality, you are a slave to sin. You know, porn addiction has led some people to seek prostitution. It has led to kidnapping. It has led to rape, to murder, to adultery. It truly affects your mind and it becomes worse over time. It's extremely dangerous to the world. How much more for Christians? It ruins relationships. It ruins your chance to have a godly dating relationship. It ruins your chance to have a godly marriage. And you can kill spiritually the woman that God wants for you. And you can kill yourself spiritually. Pornography and masturbation, it, it supports human trafficking. Every click to a porn website contributes to destroying lives. There's a very popular porn star who gave a personal account to the website Fight the New Drug. In it, he said, I had to go to work so I can do porn so that I could buy the drugs to bury the pain from doing the porn. And went around and around. Even worse, porn fueled the demand for prostitution, many of whom are victims of human trafficking. In a 2003 study, 854 human traffic survivors were surveyed, and it showed that 50% of them were forced to do pornography. As I look at this and I speak and I call this out, I've been a slave to this myself. I've been a slave to pornography and masturbation, where on a daily basis, this was what I was involved in. I even went as far as even thinking of calling prostitutes and booking time to be with those prostitutes. But you know what happened? God put godly men 
into my life. And God allowed them to use the word of God to change my heart, to change my life. How many are you, how many of you are in this sin? And if you are in this sin and, and, and you can't get out of it, it's because you're not allowing the person that God has put into your life to influence you. You're not allowing God to move in a radical way. And you're not being radical. You're being emotional. You're being prideful. You're being insecure. You know, in our generation today, teenagers are exposed to pornography. They're being taught about sex and sexual uh, form from the internet and uh, just, just going through London. You see signs and you see buildings that teach pornography. There's been a survey that even teens have been going after sexual acts have been going after sending new pictures to one another. Yes, I'm saying this, because this is serious. Thank goodness we have a teens ministry in the London church. Well, how do we get out of this? Colossians 3, verse 5, it says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee! Flee! From what? Sexual immorality. This is how we got to deal with sin. Verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. Flee. Flee from Satan. Flee. It's very quiet in here. Because we're not fleeing from sin. We're not fleeing from impurity. It says all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against who? You sin against yourself. It says don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When we fall into this kind of sin, we honor Satan with our bodies and not God. Have you been honoring God with your bodies? You know what the Greek word for flee is? Flee. Are you fleeing from sexual immorality or are you fleeing from discipleship? I think some of us are fleeing 
from discipling. We are fleeing from the man of God. We are fleeing from the word of God. We are fleeing from prayer, but not fleeing from Satan. Well, what can an unholy Christian do? I'm glad you want to know. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You guys know the story. Verse 1 says, In spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. You know, it's springtime where we've got to go off to war. Verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful, and we can stop there. We know that David fell into sin. But what sin did he fall into? What impurity was this? It started with the impurity of laziness. You know, laziness is an impurity that we can have in our hearts. When you want to be lazy, when you crave to be lazy, when you just want to just chill and relax and watch five movies, that's impurity. When you just want to numb out and be in your cave, that is impurity. And that can contaminate you. This is what happened to David. David was lazy. He got up out of bed one evening. He was in bed. Walked around, saw a woman. And in verse 5, it says that the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Adultery. David's laziness His lust pushed him to adultery. What will our laziness do? What is your laziness doing? Now, let's see what happens. In verse 15, and uh, sorry, in chapter 12, a man named Nathan rebukes David. So it's always good to have a man of God in our lives to help correct us. Amen. And David takes it and he decides to repent. Amen. Amen. Is this a good thing or not? It's a good thing. Okay. So if you're struggling with something that I've said or you're feeling an itch or you're feeling a nerve, you don't feel like lifting up your head and looking at me. You just want to put your head down right there. It's okay. You can repent. You can repent today. So David rebukes Nathan, and I mean, uh, Nathan rebukes David, and then uh, the woman gives birth. But what happens? In verse 15, it says, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night laying in sackcloths on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused. 
and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to any of us when we spoke to him. How can, he now, how can we now tell him the child is dead? He may, too, he may do something desperate. Now, we know that David got up from the ground and he was like, there's nothing he can do. His child is dead. But I thought, wow. David's impurity put to death a whole nation. We don't know what this young man could have done. We don't know what this boy could have become. We don't know how many people this young man could have saved. We don't know how many wars that this young man could have won. And because of David's sin, a nation was put to death. You know, because of your sin, a nation can be put to death. Because of our laziness, a nation can be put to death. Our laziness to not share our faith. Our laziness to, to not be pure. And, and I, I just think about the country Sri Lanka. And just Easter Sunday, bombings. Bombings. Over 300 people died. Over 500 people were wounded. And you know what? Apparently one of the bombers went to school in the UK. What if last month, that person you decided not to share your faith with knew that bomber? You could have helped prevent bombings. You could have helped prevent killings in a nation. Our sin can kill nations. But what can a holy Christian do? I'm glad you want to know. Let's come out of this depression right here. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Verse 5, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group. So the church comes together and there were some widows not being fed. So there were some disciples not eating. That still is the kingdom of God, even though there's something going on right there. The kingdom's not perfect. And so they chose people uh, who were full of the Holy Spirit. So this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. We're going to stop right there. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. So Philip was chosen. Philip was set apart. Philip said, okay, you know what? I will clean the tables. I will get the water. I will put out the chairs. I will vacuum after service. I will clean the room after service. Amen. Do we have any service? That means you guys are going to stay behind and clean the room? Okay, some people said amen to the first bit, and then others were silent on the second bit. We got to repent, amen? Amen. Uh, No, 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 no repentance. You guys are going to be servants, amen? Amen. All right. Now, in verse 26, what happens is, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kende, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And we know the story that the, uh, Philip taught the eunuch about Jesus Christ. And what happened to the eunuch? He got baptized. I thought, wow, Philip, who was holy, who was set apart, studied the Bible with the eunuch. And guess what the eunuch did? He saved the whole nation. We see an unholy person, an unholy Christian can kill a whole nation. But a holy Christian can save a whole nation. Are you with me, church? Do you want to save a whole nation? I look at Frankie and I think Frankie can save a whole nation. I look at Barry. Barry is from Wales. Barry can save a whole nation. I look at Rachel. Rachel can save a whole nation. I even look at Thomas all the way in the back. Thomas can save a whole nation. The question is, do you want to be unholy or holy? Do you want to be set apart or with the world? You know, I want to challenge all the Christians, all the disciples to recommit your bodies to Christ. Dedicate, rededicate your bodies to Christ. And if you're here for the first time or if you're studying the Bible, I, I just want to challenge you to commit yourself to Christ. Make a vow to God that you will stay pure until your wedding day. And I think about wedding days, which brings me to my second point. A holy marriage. A holy marriage. You know, the first point was a holy Christian. The second point is a holy marriage. Hebrews chapter 14 Hebrews chapter 13, sorry. Verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immorale. Keep, yourself, keep your lives free from the love of money and become content with what you have. Because God has, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And the church says. Amen. Now, this is for the marrieds. This is also for the singles. And this is for the campus. So campus and singles pay attention. But I'm preaching to the marrieds. The word honor in Greek, it means valuable. That is costly. Honor, esteem, beloved, dear, precious. So it says marriage should be honored by who? So that's all of us, right? So this is for all of us. And I thought, wow, marriage is not to make me happy. Marriage is not to, to, for us to be happy. Now, 
see, when we see God with all our heart, the Bible says we'll be happy. Yeah. Marriage is not for us to be happy. Marriage isn't really for you, it's for God. It's to give God glory. You know what? Marriage is a lifelong process. The wedding celebration is only the start. We think getting up to the wedding is hard work. Wait until you actually get married. It takes hard work to build a marriage. It takes hard work to build relationships. Some of us in this room think, oh, I can't wait till I get married. You're going to do the same thing when you get married. And then, uh, well, you're going to do the same thing when you start dating and then your girlfriend's going to break up with you. If you don't change now, you'll never change. If you don't change now, when you start dating, you won't change. When you get engaged, you won't change. And when you get married, you won't change. And you will destroy your marriage. The love of God is revealed through a marriage. The love of God is revealed through a marriage. And we know that leadership starts at home, brothers. Married brothers. Leadership starts at home. And it takes a lot of hard work, guys. You guys look, look at the marriage and you guys think, oh, you, you, you guys are awesome and you look great. And amen, they do. Michael Hart looks great. Even though he slayed the Esau earlier. And I think, okay, what can an unholy marriage do? Well, Acts chapter 5. What can an unholy marriage do? Verse 1, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Special missions. Usually this happens around special missions. But brought the rest and put at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? That you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your uh, disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. What happened to Ananias? Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell dead and died. It says... And great fear sees all who heard what had happened. And the church says. See what an unholy marriage can do? An unholy marriage can cause you to fall away. An unholy marriage can put people to death. An unholy marriage will take you out of the kingdom of God. So if you're living an unholy lifestyle now, I'm scared for you. And I'm scared for the sister that God wants you to be with. Well, let's look at what a holy marriage can do. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. In verse 24, 
It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fever and taught about Jesus accurately, though he Though he knew only the baptism of John, so he got rebaptized, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They're married. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You know, I, I really want to lift up Michael and Maria Hart. I have to say, since I've been a disciple, every year I've seen them be fruitful. Every year I've seen them baptize. And that's what it means to have a holy marriage. A holy marriage produces baptisms. Why do we date? To baptize. Why do we get engaged? To baptize. Why do we get married? To baptize. We don't get, we don't get married to be happy. We don't have interest so we can feel good and get bubbly and like, ooh, cloud nine. And you shake like, you, you shake like this. <laughs> Some of you guys shake like that when you speak about sisters and brothers. Uh-oh. Marrieds. When was the last time you were fruitful? When was the last time the husband or the wife put someone in the waters of baptism? When was the last time you invited someone over to your house? When is the last time you invite a campus student over to your house so you can love them, so you can care for them, so you can feed them and say, hey, we know you have physical mothers and fathers, but we want to be your spiritual mother and father. I want to challenge the marriage. Have people over the house. Invite the students over to your house so you can win souls. Now, when we, have a, when we are holy Christians and we have a holy marriages in the church, we can have a holy church. And that's my third and final point, a holy church. Now, what can an unholy church do? I'm glad you want to know. Let's go to 2 Chronicles, chapter 25. 2 Chronicles, chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Amaziah was about 25 years old when he became king. Amen. Any 25-year-olds in the house? Okay, amen. Well, he was 25 years old, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Jehodan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. See, if you're here right now, you are doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. But are you doing it wholeheartedly? See, you can be in the church. You can come to every meeting of the body, but not give your whole heart to the Lord. Verse three, it says, after the kingdom was firmly in his control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. Yet he did not put their children to death but acted in accordance with what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the Lord, com- Lord commanded parents shall, not, parents shall be put to death, sh- sorry, parents should not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. 
And I thought, okay, wow, he was, he did what was right in the eyes of God. He followed laws. He, he obeyed the commands, but not wholeheartedly. And I thought, wow, okay, so what, what happens? Well, verse 14, it says, when Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. So he went out to war. He was victorious. God gave him the victory. But he was drawn to the world. There was a part of him that was not set apart. There was a part of him that just was not holy. And it said that he brought the gods back with him. Well, they probably had a lot of gods. So guess who helped him? The church, his people, the kingdom. His people helped him bring the gods back to camp. And the church became unholy. The kingdom became unholy. Now, if we go to verse 20, it says, Amaziah, however, would not listen. For God so worked that he might deliver them into the hands of Jehoash. Now, the kingdom is divided right here. So you've got the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. So the southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin, and the northern kingdom was everyone else. And they are actually fighting each other. And Amaziah would not listen to God. Verse 20, it says, So Joahash, verse 21, So Joahash, king of Israel, attacked. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by Israel. And every man fled to his home. They, fled. they got destroyed and they fled. An unholy church will be destroyed. An unholy church will fall away. An unholy church, when Jesus comes back, will be condemned to hell. But what can a holy church do? You guys want to know? Yeah. I'll close out on Acts chapter 2. We know Peter gives his first sermon. And we know that he tells all those who are there, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick it up. In verse 40, he says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together into the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And the church said, Amen. Isn't this incredible what a holy church can do? A holy church can have daily baptisms. Yeah. Yes. 
Why do I read this? Because we got to imitate the church. Amen. This was roughly about 29 AD. And the, 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 the church evangelized the whole world in a generation. It's awesome to hear that we have fruit on the vine. And it's awesome in the east that we had some restorations. We everything got restored in the Lord right there. We had Dara who, who was restored as well. And we had Naomi come all the way from LA to be with the East. But in the second quarter, there's been no baptisms. No baptisms in the East, and I believe no baptisms in the North. What does that say about the church? Are we holy or are we unholy? If you're not uh, contributing to making disciples, you're unholy. If you haven't been in a Bible study in a couple weeks, you are totally unholy. Don't, don't get confused. You are unholy. And it's time to change. It's time to repent. It's time to be holy. Get right with God. Especially if you're studying the Bible. Why are you waiting? Get right with God and study the Bible. Now, if you're, you're already a disciple, when was the last time you had a Bible study? When is the last time you personally got a Bible study? The challenge is very simple. Get a Bible study and study the Bible with them and baptize them. We got to be crazy for Christ. In order to be holy is to be set apart from the world. We got to be different. We got to have a zeal that comes from God. We got to have a craziness that comes from God. We can't have a zeal and craziness that comes from the world. You know, when people walk in and they just, they just, they look weird. It's like, what is wrong? I don't know, but there's something up with that person. It's because they're in the world. It's because they're not a disciple. They don't have spiritual godly men and women in their lives. And we've got to be the church that is holy. I close out with this. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels who rebel against the world, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the, one, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of the worldly rules, and they have no respect for the status quo of the world. You can quote them. You can disagree with them, glorify, or vile them, but about only, there's only one thing you can't do, is ignore them. Because they are changing lives. They push the human race forward, while some may see them as the crazy ones. We see geniuses. Because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who will do it. Let's be a holy church that changes the world and to God be all the glory. (laughs) 
we would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast if you would like video versions of these episodes whether it's sermon highlights or interviews feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our youtube channel that's londonchurch.org.uk that's l-o-n-d-o-n-c-h-u-r-c-h dot org dot uk and for all other updates and information whether it's services events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one